Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 11, and we'll be looking at verses 7 through 15 this morning. Again, that's Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 15. And if you would, please remain standing as we do honor the public reading of the Word of God. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until, the, until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's now ask the Lord for his blessing on the preaching of the word. Oh, Father, we do pray that you would bless the preaching of your word, that you would, uh, Lord, awake us from our stupor in this way and cause us to see the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, afresh. How we do uh, plead with you for forgiveness when we often uh, live just like the rest of the world and in ways that are not cognizant of the, of the great realities of the gospel. Help us to see these realities, O Lord, and help us to act accordingly in our lives. Please work this in our hearts by your Spirit. Open up our eyes, O Lord, that we might behold wonderful things in your word. For we do ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sometimes in life, there are things that ought to be urgent, that really are urgent by nature, and yet because nobody treats them as urgent, you are yourself are tempted not to treat it as urgent as well. Everyone simply continues living their lives like nothing is happening, though something major uh, indeed is happening. Uh, one example of this would be uh, some of the, the social issues facing our country, particularly uh, things taught in schools would be a good example of this. Uh, for a long time, there was a small minority of people who were concerned about the things that were being taught to our children in, in schools, particularly the public schools, and it was basically just ignored. Uh, until now, people are realizing that this is something that was urgent. People are acting now, but in some ways, it's, it's, um, the urgency was lost for, for decades. It was lost, um, and this is an example of this. If sometimes there is something that really is an urgent issue, but it's not treated as urgent, because nobody sees it as urgent, except for a small minority of people. Uh, something similar happens in the Pilgrim's Progress, um, where Christian 
is trying to leave the city of destruction. He begins to recognize that the city is going to be destroyed. All the people in the city are going to be destroyed, but nobody seems to be that concerned about it. And nobody thinks it's a big deal because nobody's concerned about it. Christian believes it's a big deal because he believes the Bible. He recognizes the urgency of the situation because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is something of a beginning faith at this point, but he recognizes the truth of the scriptures, and therefore there is an urgency that he sees even though nobody else sees it. And this is always a temptation, brothers and sisters. We live in an age where the Bible is not received well, and because of that, the things that the Bible says are urgent matters. We do not receive as urgent like we ought to. We say, well, look, it doesn't appear to be a big deal if, if I just don't do this or don't do that. Nobody's doing that. And this is exactly the, the temptation that the people of God are facing in Matthew chapter 11 that the Lord Jesus Christ is pointing us to. Remember, in the context of Matthew chapters 11 and 12, there is an overwhelmingly negative response to the gospel. And the thing that Christ is wanting to, to point out here is that it might seem to some that nobody receiving the Lord Jesus Christ and his message, that that might mean that what is going on is something that is not urgent. There's nothing really momentous that's happening. We can just continue to live our lives because, look, most people are just continuing to live their lives. And perhaps, as we looked at last week, perhaps even the doubts of John would go to reinforce this perception among the people of God. Look, we've been told that something urgent has happened, that the kingdom of God has come. And yet John's in prison. John is even uncertain if this really is the Christ. Is it really the case that these things are, in fact, urgent. And it's because of this that Christ takes the opportunity to explain the greatness of John. We, he, we, we learn from this text is clearly a doubting saint. He had doubts, but he truly was a, a believer in this sense. And Christ takes the opportunity to explain his greatness, particularly as his greatness and his place in redemptive history illustrates the urgency of the message of the gospel, that it is not something that you can put off. Because John, as we read here, is a prophet, but he is more than a prophet. John's place in redemptive history is such that it illustrates, it teaches us that we are living in the last days, that with the coming of John, the last days have begun. The kingdom of God has come. The end times are here. And brothers and sisters, what this means for you is that you are living in the last days. You are living in the last days yourself. John's greatness, as great as it is, as the Lord Jesus Christ says here, is less than every single person who comes after him because every single person has an even greater place in redemptive history than John because every single person who comes after John and who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ has gained entrance into the kingdom of God as it has been inaugurated by the Lord Jesus Christ with his resurrection from the dead. And with his resurrection from the dead, he then receives all authority from the Father that he might draw all nations to himself. He then rises to the right hand of the Father where he reigns until every enemy is put under his feet. The point is, is that with the coming of John the Baptist, these last days have come. These last days have come. And though many people do not see it, it is urgent. It is urgent. And what Christ is saying here in this text is, Everyone who understands the nature of the kingdom 
sees that it is urgent. Everyone who understands it sees that it is urgent and lives accordingly. Everyone who truly gets it, even if you live in a world which was true in the first century and is true today, where there are many people who do not get it and who simply go on with life as they've always gone, yet there will always be some who truly get it and those who get it are always striving to enter the kingdom of God with everything that they have. With everything that they have, they are striving to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the point of this passage in the context is actually to set up a contrast with what we'll look at next week, which is the overwhelming rejection of the gospel. So what Christ is saying is, there are always going to be some that do receive it. You will know who those people are by their zeal, their zeal to enter into the kingdom of God. And yet, in verses 16 and 19, as we'll look at next week, this generation is largely unbelieving, is largely unbelieving and faithless. The idea is that even though the Elijah has come, even though the last days have been inaugurated, even though those who get it are clearly striving to enter into it, it is actually uh, the faithless who just continue living their lives. Uh, they are the ones who are going to receive a condemnation because the message really is urgent. It really is urgent despite what the majority of people say and the, in the way that the majority of the people live. And so brothers and sisters, in a world of apathetic responses to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ, this remains true today. Many will say to you, you know, it's not a big deal if you uh, don't go to church. You know, it's not a big deal if you, you know, compromise on this or that belief. You don't really have to oppose the invasion of sin in the culture to such uh, a great extent as you are doing. You don't really have to strive to maintain the faith and be looking for uh, all these ways in which it appears that our faith is under uh, attack. You don't really have to be so diligent in prayer and in caring for the lost or the despairing. But the answer is, brothers and sisters, we do. We do absolutely have to do this because we are living in the last days. The kingdom of God has really come with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the faithful are taking the kingdom by force. And the question is, brothers and sisters, are you doing this in your life? Are you one of those who understands the urgency and are living in light of it? Now, we'll look at this passage under two headings this morning. Uh, first, we'll, we'll look at the introduction to the testimony concerning John in verses 7 to 10, where the Lord Jesus Christ gives us a little bit about who John is. It's then developed further in verses 11 through 15, where we see particularly John's greatness in light of his place in redemptive history. So there is a, an introduction to John, that he's a prophet and more than a prophet. And then we see um, further the significance of it, really the, the true significance, which is that he is the Elijah to come. He is the one who is sent before the face of the Messiah himself. And therefore, we are living in the last days. So we'll look first at verses 7 through 10. The, we consider the introduction uh, to the testimony of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ concerning John. Now, you'll notice the context in verse 7. As they departed. So, you, so you'll remember that John had some questions about whether or not the Lord Jesus Christ uh, was truly the Christ. And so he sends uh, certain people to inquire of Christ on his behalf. And the they that are departing are these people. So the idea is that uh, as Jesus has now given the response to John, which these messengers are now carrying back to him, as those are departing, he then takes the opportunity to explain uh, who John is. So those disciples are leaving, the disciples of John, and he then uh, begins to speak about who John is. And the significance of John 
comes in the fact that even though John is in prison, even though it may appear outwardly that the kingdom is not coming, that John really is the forerunner of the Messiah. It's the main thing that Christ wants to say. John really is the forerunner of the Messiah. And so he begins by uh, teaching on who John is by giving a threefold set of questions. And this question is happened three times. What did you go out to see? What were you going out to see when you went out to John? Everyone recognized the greatness of John in this way, that there was something significant with his ministry. And it caused many people to leave their homes and to go out even into the wilderness to hear this person preach. And so, so Jesus is trying to, to point people to this and saying, you know, why was it that you went out? What kind of person was it? And what then is the significance of his ministry in the history of all of redemption if you went out into the wilderness to see this one who is John? And he begins with these three questions, and uh, they're all rhetorical questions. The first two are negative. The last is positive. So the idea is that the first two questions tell us what John is not. The third one tells us what John is. So the first two, John is not a reed shaken by the wind. You didn't go out to see a reed shaken by the wind. He's also not a person clothed in soft clothing. He's not those things. He is rather a prophet, as it says in verse 9, and indeed more than a prophet. So we'll deal with these in turn first, a reed shaken by the wind. Now, reeds would have been common to find in the wilderness. So as they were going out to hear John preach, they could have easily looked around and seen reeds. But the problem with going out to see a reed shaken by the wind is that this was so common that it was in no sense significant or noteworthy. You would not go out into the desert to see a reed shaken by the wind because it would just, it's not, it's not worth going out there to see. It's not valuable or significant in any way. And so what Christ is saying is, you know, he's not just some common reed in the wilderness that you would find anywhere. You went out in, into the wilderness to see something significant. Um, another thing that's, that Christ is indicating here is that a reed itself being shaken by the wind has uh, the, the, the idea of being blown about, being um, you know, governed by the opinion of others, being shaken very easily from its foundation. And what Christ is saying here is that that was clearly not John. He did not change his message to suit the crowd. There is no sense in which he was a reed shaken by the wind. And certainly you would not have gone out into the wilderness to see such a thing. Uh, John was one who was willing to preach anything to anyone, regardless of how it offended somebody, regardless of how difficult it was to say, John was not a reed shaken by the wind. And so secondly, he says, it's, so you didn't go out to see that. He's not a person in soft clothing. Now, a person in soft clothing may have been someone that would have been worthy of going to see, someone who would have been wealthy and powerful, but yet clearly you wouldn't go out into the wilderness to see such a person. Jesus says, those who are in soft clothing, they live in king's houses. And clearly this was not John the Baptist. He was not seeking favors and wealth and position and authority in worldly ways. We have even a very significant description of his clothing in Matthew chapter 3 and in, in Mark chapter 1 as well, that he, he wore clothing of camel's hair and, and a, a leather belt itself. His clothing was not soft at all. And in fact, his clothing is even a, a hint that he is, in fact, the Elijah to come, for Elijah wore uh, the same clothing. But in any case, clearly, he was not someone who was trying to gain worldly wealth or influence or power. And you would not have gone out to John the Baptist to acquire these things for yourself. He had nothing to give. So you didn't go out for these things. You wouldn't have gone out for any of these worldly things. You wouldn't have gone out to hear a man who was simply trying to cater his message to the people. You went out to the wilderness for another reason. 
what Jesus is saying. And the reason you would have went out, he says in verse 9, is because he is, in fact, a prophet. Jesus says that he was a prophet. Now, this in itself would have been quite significant because for 400 years there had been no prophets. There was a ceasing of prophecy, and this is recognized even, even by the Jews. They, they recognized that there was a, a difference in the kind of literature that was produced by the prophets, and then those who came after the prophets. There was a, a, a clear difference in terms of authority um, and that sort of thing. And the fact that John came as a prophet then would have been highly significant. Something significant is happening if God is once again speaking to his people uh, by prophets. Now, he wasn't the only prophet at this time. You remember in uh, Luke chapter 2, there were uh, Simeon and Hannah as well who were prophesying at various points. So there was a, a, an increase of prophetic activity that came around the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what Jesus is saying here is that John is significant because he's not just a prophet signaling now the, 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 uh, the growth again of the office of prophet after it had been silent, it had been gone for 400 years, but also John himself is more. He is more than a prophet. And if you were to ask in what way, in what way is John more than a prophet, we are told in verse 10, as Jesus quotes from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare, who will prepare your way before you. The idea is, John is the fulfillment of this, which means that if John has come, and if John is the forerunner of the Messiah, then it means with the coming of John, then the Messiah has come as well. That's the significance. John is more than a prophet, because with his coming, it means that the Messiah himself has come. Now, there's even a, a subtle testimony here that, that Christ is giving that uh, the, the Messiah is himself actually fully God. Um, we, we see this because there's a slight change in the quotation in Malachi chapter 3. Uh, in Malachi chapter 3, the messenger is sent before the face of Yahweh, who's speaking in the first person, before my face. But now it's changed to you in recognition that the, that John is sent before the face of the Messiah, who is the same as Yahweh. That's the idea. So there's a subtle reference here to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is God himself. Uh, John is preparing the way for Yahweh, who is himself God. And he's prepared the way. He's done this by the preaching of the word, by preaching repentance and softening the hearts of the people. And the idea is that this ministry was necessary to soften the hearts of the people so that they would be prepared for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he did, in fact, come. And the reason why he came in the wilderness is significant as well. John was signaling that the end of the exile had come. The thing in the prophets that was to be the, the inauguration of the end times as well was that, the, that God would gather all of the people, all of the Jews from the furthest parts of the land. He would bring them out of exile. And so John goes out in the wilderness and says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord. Make straight the paths back to God from the wilderness of the exile. And that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so John, in this sense, is, is great. He is, he is great. And this greatness is then developed further in verses 11 to 15, where uh, the, the implications of John being the fulfillment of Malachi 3.1 are really brought out. And the idea here is, that, is this, that it must mean that with the coming of John, the kingdom of God has in fact come. And John is great. It's not so much a statement about who he is personally, which of course John was a great prophet, but the idea is he's great because of his location in redemptive history. He's great because of his location in redemptive history. And that means also that all of those who come after John 
are also great in the sense of having great privileges because of their place in redemptive history. And all of this serves to increase the urgency of the message of the gospel. All of it does. Uh, if it is true that John is the forerunner of the Messiah, then it means that all the things the prophets were always talking about are about to be fulfilled. There's nothing that could be more urgent than that. You know, very often we, we think of, of what would happen if you were living at the end of the world, you were living in, in the end times, so to speak. And there, you know, people think about the certain things that you yourself would, would do that would be different from how you're living now. Uh, the purpose of, of all of these texts is simply to say that you are, in fact, living in those days. Now, it can be easy to lose sight of it because these last days have lasted for 2,000 years. And yet, it really is true, nonetheless. You really are living in the last days. The last days are characterized by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, in these days more than any other days, you have an obligation to live in light of eternity. The next thing that happens on the redemptive calendar is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know when it'll be, but that's the next thing that's happening. You are therefore called to live upon, uh, upon this great truth that you are living in the last days and and eternity is right around the corner for everyone. And this kingdom has, in fact, been inaugurated. And so this greatness of John is explained, particularly in verses 13 and 14. You'll notice there what is said, that the law and the prophets prophesied until John. So there was something of a continuity until John. And yet there's something different that's happened with the coming of John. Now, now the, the prophets and the law would be shorthand for the Old Testament ministry, the Old Covenant ministry, which was maintained uh, until John. The point is that that old way was happening until John, but with the coming of John, something new has happened, something momentous has happened, and it's the thing to which the law and the prophets pointed. They testified. So all those things are up until John. There was a certain way things happened until then, but in the law and the prophets, we always read of something that would happen, some momentous thing when the kingdom of God would come. And the point is to say that all those things happen until John, but with John, something new has come, and that is that he himself is the Elijah to come, as Christ says in verse 14. He is the Elijah to, to come. Now, this is a quotation from uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. And the idea is that Elijah was the one who was to be sent uh, to, uh, before the people, to the people, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. The emphasis is on uh, the coming of the judgment that would come with, with Elijah. So Elijah comes, and then the Messiah comes right after that, and then there's this great judgment. This is the reason why, the, uh, why John himself, when he preaches, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Then he says, the ax is laid at the, fruit of, uh, at the root of the tree. The idea is this great judgment is coming. It's very near now because I am the forerunner of the Messiah who is bringing this great judgment. You have to live in light of these last days. The kingdom of God is, in fact, near, and it is at hand. You have to live in light of these things. Now, John's greatness, that, that's, that's John's greatness. John's greatness is, is significant because of his place in redemptive history. But the other thing that's said that is actually quite surprising, could be surprising, is that not only is John, as it says in verse 11, greater than anyone who's born, been born of woman, but also we are told that he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The least one in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The point of this statement is to highlight even further the significance of the kingdom of God. John is great because of his relationship to the kingdom of God. There are great privileges. There is a greater momentousness to his coming. Uh, he is bringing in things that are great and related to the end times. 
But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater even than John because, because there is even more in terms of redemptive, redemptive historical acts that those who are the least in the kingdom have seen. And so you think of, of every Christian who lives uh, on this side of the coming of Christ. We look back on the resurrection, the giving of the Spirit, which enables us to live a godly life in this crooked and perverse generation, the advancement of the kingdom of God, the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of these things are privileges that John never got to see. And therefore, all of those who live on this side of all those things are in some sense even greater than John. Now the point of this, brothers and sisters, is to say that you have an enormous amount of privilege, an enormous amount of privilege, and an enormous responsibility that comes in light of that privilege. Um, very often, people will ask the question, you're like, what, what, what time of history would you like to live in? And you can think of um, people wanting to say, like, if you're talking about like the, the scriptures, you know, it would be great to have lived in the days of Moses, to see you know, the people of God cross the Red Sea, or to see uh, you know, the days of Isaiah and all those great prophecies of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, to see uh, this or that great thing, or to, to live even to see John the Baptist and to see all these, the baptisms that happen and to see the excitement of the people with, uh, and all the things happen with the Lord Jesus Christ and all the miracles and all those things. But brothers and sisters, the point of these words is to say that all of those people would have given anything to be in your position. All of them would have given anything to be in your position to have lived after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the giving of the Spirit. This is, these are the last days, and you are the most privileged of all people in all of history. You are living in the days of the kingdom of God. And what Christ says in verse 12 is, all of those who understand that act accordingly. They act accordingly. They live in light of the fact that we are living in the last days. Now, verse 12 is a very difficult verse to understand. There are a number of ways to translate it, uh, but, the, but the point is to highlight the urgency. So uh, you'll notice the way that uh, I read the verse, which was um, from the, the version that we we're reading from the New King James. I'll read this again, and we'll go over what the, what the different options are for translation and what the, what the correct way to understand it is. And from the days of John the Baptist until now. So the idea is that from, from the one that this great person came, from that time, who's John the Baptist, and in light of the greatness, the new thing that's happening redemptively, historically, with his coming, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, there are a couple of ways to understand this verse, and really everything hangs on how we understand the, the words suffer violence and violent. With regard to the first one, suffer violence can either be taken in an active sense or a passive sense. I, I do apologize here for the grammatical explanation. This will be, this will be simple, so it's not going, to be, um, not going to be over anyone's head. Um, the idea is either that the kingdom can come violently in the sense of aggressively expanding, or it can suffer violence in the sense of people trying to do violence to it. So is the kingdom of God advancing forcefully? The idea would be, uh, not violently in the sense of like violating the Sixth Commandment, but the idea is forcefully advancing itself, moving forward. Or is it the case that there are others who are trying to fight against the kingdom? Those, those are the options. So is the, is the kingdom of heaven receiving this violence, or is it giving it as it's advancing? That's the idea. Then secondly, with regard to the violent, are these violent people who are seeking to destroy the kingdom, 
or is violent equivalent to forceful and describing the people who are trying to get into it. So those are the, the two different ways uh, to understand uh, the verse. So the idea is, is this verse talking about those who oppose the kingdom of God, or is it talking about those who are zealously trying to enter it? So those are the, the two different ways of understanding it. And it's better to understand this in the latter sense. Uh, this verse is take, uh, speaking about the zeal that people have in trying to enter the kingdom of God. And this is for a, a few reasons. First, uh, the active force of this verb, uh, suffering violence or moving forward forcefully, the active sense is well attested. It's actually the overwhelming sense in terms of the way that the, that the word is used. And even more than that, there is a place in the Greek translation of the Old Testament where it has exactly this meaning, and it even is means forceful in the, the context of entering a place. So when, the, when uh, the people of God are around Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, there is a statement that God makes that see to it that the people um, do not break forward to come up the mountain, break in to come out, to, to come up. And that word for breaking through, the violent entry, is the same word that's used here. It's in the, the exact same form. So therefore, there's a, there's, there is good reason to believe that this is the active force and even violence for the sake of entering is a, a use that we see even in the scriptures. Secondly, the forceful entry by zealous people is the meaning of Luke chapter 16, verse 16, where even you have the same thing. There are, there are violent people, so to speak, who are entering into a place. The, the, the idea of entrance is, is very clear in Luke chapter 16, verse 16, and that is itself a parallel passage which informs for us uh, how informs us how we are to understand the text in this particular uh, passage. So the idea is that it would have meant the same thing in Luke 16 as it does now. And the point then is this, of, of verse 12. Since the days of the coming of John, the end time kingdom of God has been aggressively advancing. It's been aggressively advancing with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who see this reality, the reality of this coming kingdom, have sought with everything they have to enter into the kingdom. They see the great blessings of it. They recognize that there is no greater blessing than to enter into this kingdom. And so they are pushing forward with everything that they have. They recognize that among those born of, of women, there is none greater to, uh, than John, who was born up to that point. But since the coming of John, this kingdom has come. And all those who get it, who recognize the blessing, are striving to enter it. Brothers and sisters, in light of this, the question is, is this you? Is this a good description of your life? Are you one who sees the aggressive, forceful advancing of the kingdom of God? And do you just as zealously seek to enter into it? This is the question that uh, Christ would have us to answer this morning. The purpose, remember the purpose, is to contrast in the, next, in the next passage, the purpose is to contrast with the unfaithfulness of the generation that Christ is speaking to, which saw everything and simply shrugged their shoulders and kept moving with life. Those are the two kinds of responses. And the question is, do you have ears to hear this message? Do you have the ears to hear it that you would see, wow, the kingdom of God has really come and I am living in these last days, I'm going to live accordingly. Or do you simply shrug your shoulders like the rest of mankind. Brothers and sisters, you are to strive to enter into the kingdom of God with everything that you have. Take an honest look at your life. What would people say if, the, if they were to, to look at your life? Would they see a life where there is this real sense of urgency that you are truly living in light of the reality of the coming of the kingdom? 
Do you see the offer of the gospel that forgiveness of sins can be had for anyone who would but turn from their sins to God? Do you see that and say, yeah, it's something that I could just take or leave and just go on with life? Or do you see that that offer of the gospel is the thing that ought to so transform your life that everything that you do is now to be done in light of that gospel? Remember what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. In view of God's mercies, which he had been expounding for 11 chapters, in view of God's mercies, the only reasonable service you can give, the only pleasing, acceptable sacrifice that you can give to God is your life. In light of the mercy of God, brothers and sisters, let us now give to God the acceptable sacrifice of our very lives. May it be that God would grant you the grace to see the glory of his kingdom and that you would strive to enter it forcefully. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do, how we do thank you for the privileges that you have given to us. What a wonderful thing to think that, Lord, life would be so drastically different if we had been born at another time before the coming of your Son. We who were very far away have been brought near by the blood of your Son. We are living in the days of the kingdom of God. Lord, may it be that you would grant us the grace to see these things, to see the urgency of all of it, to live in light of that great day, that we would not be so overly concerned with the things of this world, O Lord, but that we would seek always to to, uh, store up treasures for ourselves in heaven, that we would not seek with great ambition to uh, attain power and wealth for ourselves that we might live easily in a world of comfort, but rather that we would use everything that we have, O Lord, for the sake of the advancement of your kingdom. May it be the thing that is first on our minds, O Lord, the thing that is first in our hearts, the thing that we strive for above everything else in light of the reality that we are living in the last days. For Lord, we do ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. May God enlighten the eyes of your heart, that through the preached word your eyes may be opened to behold the glory of Christ more and more.